not gonna say it if somebody should let's talk about two time let's talk about bum one yeah asking the questions that nobody could like where are the bone dogs and are they in So last time we left and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about um, the uh, Bready Stanellis premise that the novel is dead, um, which I, I said like, oh, this is what I'm going to talk about. And then um, I probably spent an hour trying to remember because I was like, I know I said I'm going to do this like cliffhanger thing. And I remember it was about something related to, like, fiction or something. But I could not remember what it was for a long time. And then started thinking, like, well, am I going to go back and, like, play the file and try and remember what it was? Am I going to just talk about whatever and just be like, eh, fuck it. We didn't follow through on our promise. <laughs> Surprise! Um, but I, then I remembered. I know that's a fascinating tale. I didn't remember a thing, and then I did. Okay, good one, Pete. So, uh, in I don't even know if it was in his latest book, which is called White, which is nonfiction. It's Brett Easton Ellis's first nonfiction collection, I think, um, which is pretty good. I listened to the audio book, and you know, it's fine. Um, I think he's. He takes a lot of shit because uh, he's a fairly controversial figure, but he seems to not really be concerned with being with making people upset. There was a a terrible interview with him in like the New York Times, which uh, everyone was like, "Oh, see, look what an asshole Brett Easton Ellis is." But I was kind of surprised when I read it because, to be honest, I felt like the interviewer was being a real asshole. And for some reason was trying to talk about like Donald Trump and stuff um, in this Brett Easton Ellis interview, which I I just felt like the interviewer was obsessed with Donald Trump and Donald Trump's politics. And uh, Brett Easton Ellis said straight up, like, it, I'm just not interested in talking about it. Um, and the interviewer, the interview was trying to like dunk on Brett Easton Ellis more than he was trying to interview him. And so I just I was like. This is horrible and stupid. But anyway, at some point, Brett Easton Ellis has kind of made the declaration that the novel is dead for various reasons. Um, and I saw this echoed in in Chuck Palahniuk's new book. He kind of said, like, Brett Easton Ellis says the novel's dead. And I, I don't know if Chuck Palahniuk agrees or not. It seems like maybe he kind of does. Um. But, you know, let's let's talk about this for a minute. Like, what does that mean exactly? And is it probably true? Um, in some ways, like, I think that what they're saying is the novel is sort of not a popular form of entertainment the way it once was. Um, which I think is probably true. 
I don't know. I should look up like some statistics, but I do wonder like the number of people who, you know, read one novel a month or something. I thought this was funny because I was watching, I don't know, various shows. And it seems like a lot of times on um, shows, people, when they go to bed, like a married couple will be depicted in bed together and they're both reading books or one of them is reading a book. This seems like a really, really common trope of television, which is like people get in bed and don't watch TV, which is crazy because that's what people do. But I guess it's, you know, if you're reading a book and you're in bed and you've got your, your little reading glasses on, that signals uh, being at home and all that shit, but also probably like uh, it's just more complicated, right? Like probably having a television screen and television audio on a show or a movie is not, <laughs> not the best idea. It's probably a little like, A, when you go to like Buffalo Wild Wings. And so if you don't have TV at home, like TV, TV, and then you go out and TV, TV is on, it's a festival of things happening. Like it's just constant stuff. And then you're like, wait a minute, there's a fucking Aquaman movie? What the fuck? Um, and then there's another commercial for a thing that you're like, I'm seven, the, the iPhone 11? Like, how many iPhones, how many iPhones are they going to do before they stop counting, by the way? Can't they start calling it the iPhone ghost or some shit like that? I mean, I just feel like, I feel like the uh, the numbering system is a little boring. Also, they've already fucked up the numbering, right? Because I think 4 and then 4S was where things got fucked up. And then they did like the 10, which everyone calls the X, which is pretty interesting um, because Chuck Klosterman's book was called Chuck Klosterman 10 because it was his 10th book. But everyone calls it X because it's an X. And in a bunch of interviews, he's like, apparently I really overestimated the common prevalence of Roman numerals. Like I thought everyone would see that and think 10, but obviously that's not the case. So anyway, iPhone 10, which I assume they wanted people to call the 10, but everyone calls the X because it, it is an X to be fair to us, the dumbs, the idiots who didn't design the iPhone, uh, definitely is an X. Okay. If you want it to be called the 10, there's, there's a way to depict the number 10. It's not as cool. But uh, what are you going to do? We're called Generation X, not Generation 10, right? The X-Men, not the 10 men. I mean, X is everywhere now. Solve for X, not solve for 10. If you were solving for X and you were solving for 10, then you, would, you wouldn't even have to do math anymore. That would be a, a hilarious thing to do. If you're in a math class, if you're listening to this and you're in a math class, just assume that an X is a Roman numeral. And so always replace it with 10 and then be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're racist against the Romans. Uh, your your America centric way of looking at things is disgusting to me. Um, boy, we got way off track anyway. Yeah, having a TV on a TV show, I'm sure, is very distracting and a stupid thing to do. 
I'm sure there are other reasons too. I I would guess too one of the reasons to not have a TV show or a movie playing during a TV show or a movie is that you don't really want to remind someone of another TV show or a movie, especially if your TV show or movie ain't that good. Because I think that just invites a lot of comparisons, right? That you really don't want to, you don't want to like start off, you know, when the new Picard show starts, they probably don't want to start right off with like, here's a, here's some stuff from Star Trek TNG. And you're like, "Mm, do you really want to be reminding me of that right now? Because that was pretty good. And this is a remains to be seen. But uh, it seems like in shows, but especially older shows, people would go to bed and they would read a book in bed. Now, I don't know because I wasn't an adult at the time where this happened. Like, I don't know if that really happened. I suspect not. I suspect there weren't a ton of adults who would go in bed and then read a book. I think that was just like a a TV trope and one that was never really... uh, debated or whatever because it's not that interesting it's probably for practical reasons but anyway i i don't know if that was like a common thing amongst married couples like let's say in the 1980s you're a married couple do you both have a nightstand with a book on it and when you go to bed it's like i might read 10 pages i might just lay down i'm not sure i mean maybe because like what are you gonna do when you're in when you're in bed if not that in the 1980s like, you get in bed, um, you could have sex with your wife, I suppose. If you're one of those gross people, you could uh, chat or you could go to sleep. It's funny, like, I think one of the hardest recommendations to follow or one of the most unrealistic maybe is um, everybody is like, don't have a TV in the bedroom. That's so bad for you. Like, it's so hard to get sleep. But I'm kind of like, oh, man, I don't know if that's realistic. Maybe we got to find some other way to mitigate the effects, because uh, in Peter's opinion, that just it doesn't seem realistic. It's like trying to it's like trying to get somebody to exercise like 30 minutes a day starting from scratch. And it's like, look, that's not realistic. If someone's super out of shape, getting them to like do 30 minutes of cardio every day for a week is not a super realistic starting point. And because it's not a super realistic starting point, everyone's just going to be like, oh, fuck that noise. You got to you got to ease people in. All right. Um, I do suspect, though, that more people probably read like a book or a book here and there back in the day than they do now. I would suspect that like back in the day, anyone going on vacation, like if you're going on a flight, you're going to bring a book because you're like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do? Right. I would think that uh, now that's probably not as common. Probably a lot of people bring a book in the form of like an iPad or whatever. Whether or not they read that book is a whole other thing, right? So I I would suspect, and here's the problem too, is I think it would be very difficult to figure out whether or not people were reading more back in the day or not. Because really, it's all self-reported data. 
And self-reported data sucks. Like, self-reported data on something like reading habits is not good. Because for the most part, it's like... If you asked most adults, like, how many books did you read last year and they weren't really keeping track, they'd probably overestimate their reading, especially if they felt like they were being asked this and they would feel guilty about the low amount of reading they did last year. Like, if they feel like, oh, God, I only read, like, not even a book last year, I think uh, most adults would feel like shit and might lie. Not saying they would, but they might. I wouldn't be shocked to find out there was some fudging going on. Why is fudging the term for like uh, inflating the number or, you know what I mean? Cheating, light cheating is fudging. Like, what is it about fudge that's disingenuous? I don't trust fudge. It's like chocolate, but then you get stuck in it like quicksand in your mouth. Edible quicksand. This is a new thing we should invent. So I, I think it would be hard, and I really feel like the only thing we've got here is a suspicions. And I would say this: my suspicions are definitely that people read more, let's say, 30 years ago than they do now. And that's a pretty easy thing to understand because, like, there were a lot fewer options. I mean, like, if you grew up in an era where TV was what was on TV at the the time that TV stations declared it, TV is a far, far less appealing option than it is now. Where it's like, I don't know, whatever I'm watching, I can just, I can watch it whenever the fuck I want. I can watch Star Trek TNG for six hours on Saturday. Or I can, uh, you know, watch it as soon as I get home. Or I could watch it while I eat dinner and then stop it and then take a shower and then get, you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot. Star Trek TNG existed in the 90s, but the means of accessing it now are so much easier and it's so much more on demand. And I think that was a huge advantage that books used to have that they don't have anymore. Right. Because like I could take a book and then read it on my break at work. I could, you know, read that same book while I'm eating breakfast. I could read that same book while I'm going to bed. Right. And an advantage of book as entertainment is that it's like, well, it's always here. Like, if I want to read it, I can just fucking start reading it. So I, I think that was an advantage that books had for a long time that they don't have anymore because everything else kind of operates that way. Um, I also think that maybe books suffer from a problem that's in the music industry as well, which is like, I'm suspicious that most people don't listen to albums anymore. Like you don't take a take your bands or, you you know, uh, let's say uh, Lizzo. Let's talk about Lizzo, right? How many people like listen to her album from start to finish more than once? Or, you know, how many fans of hers are like, I'm going to listen to this album over and over. Because that is kind of what happened back in the day. Because you had limited options. And so you usually tried to buy albums that weren't just like two good songs and the rest shit. Because you're like, well, I'm going to have to listen to this album over and over again. I was telling Poonmaster Flex the other day about when Weezer put out their green album, I think. It was like 
I remember people being pissed off because I think it might be a little less than 40 minutes or something like that. It's pretty short. And people were kind of pissed off about it, which I never really understood because I was like, well, what do you want? You want like fucking five extra minutes of songs in here that suck? You want like three more shitty songs that are filler? That's what everybody else is doing. I mean, we all know it was like you would listen to entire albums and only skip those songs that you're like, oh, I just can't fucking stand it. And it was kind of fun because it was like a little reward for going through the songs you didn't like when you eventually did get to those good songs again. But uh, I don't know. Every album would have a song on it that you're just like, I would just really rather not listen to this. Like, I would rather just flip over to the radio or, you know, like a band I like might have a song like I liked The Offspring when I was a young man. And I hated the song Self-Esteem. I thought it was so fucking stupid. Um, And so I would always like turn it, turn it off. Um, Or if it was on the radio, I would switch stations, even though it was a band I really liked. So it was kind of a a weird thing, right? So anyway, but back, back when, more people probably listened to albums straight through just because well, if, if I skip every other song, this isn't going to take me very long. And like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just fine listening to whatever here and there. So I think that books have also suffered from this, which is like um, music suffered from it in a way where like people don't listen to albums. So I would think as an artist, it's probably very difficult to make very much money selling albums, right? Because it's like, well, I'm not selling albums anymore. I'm selling singles and I'm probably getting paid shitty for them. And I don't, I don't have all these other things financially to help me out. So kind of sucks. Um, but people just have so many choices that are so readily available and books don't do well when there's like, when you can read 20 pages of a book and then be like, yeah, fuck it. And it just kind of sits on your Kindle and you always mean to go back to it, but you never do. And it just goes further and further back down the list as far as like your most recently read stuff. And eventually you go back to it and you're like, huh, I don't really remember this and so on. So like the thing with a novel is it's kind of a sustained attention activity. You can't like listen. You can't read part of it. And then three months later, read another part. And then three months later, another part. I mean, you can. But it's not gonna it's not gonna have its intended effect. Let's put it that way. Um, and like you're totally free to do that, but it's just not it's not gonna work right. And then I would think most people who experience novels that way would find it pretty unsatisfying for the most part. Whereas like music, you can listen to like one song and be satisfied with it and be like, that's all of this that I need. Or like I I like to listen to this one song, then this one song, then this one song. I kind of make make my own experience, remix my own uh, life, which is another aspect of this. I think people now have a lot more options to sort of customize their lives. So, like, it's a lot easier to go through and not have to listen to those shitty songs, right? Um, when I was a young man, I remember my brother got a computer to go to college and it had a CD burner on it. And I was like, 
This is the future. We are in the future now, motherfuckers. Because we could, uh, I could make a mix CD. And what you had to do, you had to like program a CD. So you had to, uh, let's say I want track one from this one CD. So I put that in and say, okay, track one. Then I put in the next CD and say track five. And then the next CD and say track two and so on and so forth. And then you'd have to sit there and one by one, take the CDs out and put them back in again as it actually copied the individual songs. Like it was, it was a real pain in the ass. Um, but it was worth it. I thought at the time. Now it's like, God damn, you go to the thrift store and there's just like CD wallets full of mixes that people have made. And it's so ridiculous because you're just like, I don't even know why the thrift stores take those. Who is going to buy that? Who's going to buy Angie's mix? Like, what even is that? What's on there? I don't know what's on there. I don't really trust someone who's a complete stranger. Their taste in music. Like, that's a that's a bizarre way of going about getting your music. Sometimes I think these thrift stores need to be like, listen, shit that we can't sell, we're not taking. Like, we just, we don't want it. So that's a very long and convoluted way of saying, I think that um, it's fair to assume that novels are less read now than they were before because there are so many other options and because the form of the novel is not really well suited to our current modes of consumption. Um, it's not as convenient. It's not as... Uh, you can't skip from one thing to the other. You can't jump around. You can't customize it, really. It's kind of a, you just got to fucking read it. So from that standpoint, I would say, yeah, there's probably reason to think the novel's dead. I would think, too, um, certainly from the standpoint of someone like Brett Easton Ellis, that uh, the novel is dead in terms of financial. And it's like, that is definitely a truth. I think it would be a lot harder to make a living as a novelist today. Um, because there's just so many options for publishers. Like there's no shortage of writers who have a fucking novel sitting around. And then I know for a fact that like, I don't know that for example, okay, I get a three book contract with somebody and that's less money or less sustainable or whatever. But I do know that there's less money in publishing. I do know that where if an author, a mid-level author would be pretty likely to go on tour, even like 15 years ago, you would see authors on tour who were not well known and, you know, but people would show up to it. And also, I just don't think that's happening anymore. Like, I don't think authors are going on tour if they're not Stephen King. Stephen King's definitely fucking going on tour. But is anybody else going, you know, is uh, a half Stephen King going on? Peter Straub or something? I don't know who's halfway to Stephen King. That's kind of an arbitrary measurement. But oh my God, you guys, I made a terrible mistake in picking my route today. But uh, smaller authors don't really go on tour unless they pay for it themselves. Um, 
or arrange it themselves. And, you know, like you'll see a lot of indie authors, what they'll do is they'll arrange a tour for themselves where basically they're crashing with people they know or uh, what's the cheapest tour I can take and I'll be in my car and just do it that way. Um, whereas those same authors probably would have had at least a couple cities they would hit or something like that. I mean, even Chuck Palahniuk is like, he goes on a book tour. He used to do huge tours and his new book came out and I think he's going to be at uh, four or five places pretty close to where he lives, probably driving from where he is. And then maybe he'll be somewhere in New York and that's probably it. So it's like West Coast, New York, and that's it. No stopping, no stopping in Iowa at the wonderful bookshops or whatever. No stopping in Denver at the tattered cover. Like these things are not big, which is weird because um, I've read a ton about, you know, indie bookstores are on the rise and everyone takes it as a good sign for books because independent bookstores, uh, the number of them increased over the last few years. And I think finally this year it leveled off. But I don't know. I, I'm curious about whether or not that's a, a positive sign or if it's it's as meaningful as anyone thinks. Because, um, for example, looking at it from the library side, like if we if we opened another library somewhere, on one hand, I would say, well, I guess that's an expansion of service. But on the other hand, you'd have to look and say, well, are we just kind of cannibalizing our own people? Like, how many people are we reaching with this new location that weren't using the library before? Is it more convenient for some people? Absolutely. And that's like, that's kind of a win. But are we really like, uh, are we really providing something new and different and way better? Or is it just kind of like, well, now the people who used us before use us and drive slightly less, um, which is not as big of a win. And so I do wonder like the number of bookstores, because I think it's like, well, if this is sort of a peak, I think I want to see in three years how many of them are still open, <laughs> how many of them are turning a profit, all that kind of shit, because that's that's fucking important to know. I mean, when I look, worked at the bookstore in uh, Fort Collins, it was all donations is what they sold. And. uh so they they got the books for free. They sold them and they got to use the space for free or extremely cheap. Um, and it still closed down because they were still like, you know what? It's not worth paying the one person who like runs the bookstore and runs the volunteers and stuff. It couldn't even with free space, even with traffic that was coming through because it was located inside a coffee shop. Even with stock that they didn't have to pay for, it wasn't working. It wasn't enough to keep it going. So I'm curious. Um, so why the novel in particular, though? I think there's an important distinction here between the novel and like nonfiction or essays or whatever. Um, I think that uh, people are still accustomed to sort of getting information and like more long form information from books. I think people, uh, another Chuck Klosterman interview. I just talk about guys named Chuck all the time. That's all I care about. 
in another one of his interviews, he was talking about how um, people like nonfiction more than fiction. And part of it is because if you read a piece of nonfiction, even if you don't like it or the writing isn't good or whatever, um, even if you don't find it super compelling, you at least will get something out of it because you'll learn something, right? Theoretically, you'll at least have some new piece of information that you didn't have previously. Um, that's the worst possible outcome. And so that's really not so bad, right? I mean, that's something. Whereas with a novel, if it sucks, you basically don't get anything out of it. Um, which I thought was pretty astute and very true. And I think that part of the importance of getting something out of it, quote unquote, currently that maybe wasn't there before is, again, I think that with so many options, it feels like you're wasting your time if you're doing something and not getting anything out of it. And really, the core of it to me is, why was the novel created? Or why was the novel consumed to begin with? And to me, I think it was to kill time. I mean, it was to di it was a diversion, right? It was a like, well, what am I going to do in this 20 minutes it takes me to fall asleep for between when I get in bed and when I fall asleep? I got 20 minutes here. How should I pass the time? I could just stare at the ceiling, but reading this novel is a much better much better use of that time or it makes it makes the time go a lot faster i'm stuck on this fucking airplane for 5 hours how am i going to pass the time i'll read this novel right like it makes sense but uh the thing is is if the object is to kill time as opposed to get something out of it or to have a certain level of experience then Really, as long as the novel succeeds in killing time, you did get something out of it, right? But, like I'm saying, now that I think people have much better options and they can be more assured of the quality of those options, I think the novel is a tougher sell. It's a, it's a, harder, um, it's a harder pitch. Because you're like, well... What, what am I going to walk away feeling or thinking or knowing that I wasn't before? And like, is this going to be absorbing enough for me? Um, and I don't mean that in a way of like, uh, oh, these fucking kids have no attention span or something like that. I don't think that's anything to do with the kids. I think the adults are the fucking exact same. It's just more about... Um, I don't think we're in practice of doing things that way. And like, it's, it's funny to me because for example, if you look at like Avengers Endgame and everyone was talking about how fucking long it is or like the, I don't know if this new star Wars is as long, but the one before it, the middle one was pretty long. And when people kind of bellyache about a long movie, I don't get me wrong. I have complained about many a long movie but my complaint is not the length. My complaint is that the length is unnecessary. So if it's longer than it needs to be, if it's got extra shit that could easily be omitted to make it much shorter, that should definitely happen. Um, if it's got a needless romantic subplot like Creed, where you're just like, why, why am I watching this? Just cut it out. 
just get rid of it, shorten the movie up, and no one's going to complain and be like, oh, I wish that it had, been, had a romantic subplot to just kind of fluff it up. Will people complain if something is too short? Yes. But what that complaint means is I wanted more of what I was getting. Um, when people complain about something being too long, that's way worse. Because that means you did way more work than you needed to. <laughs> that means that you like... I think it's just my personal aesthetic that a story that can be told in 200 pages shouldn't be told in 250. Like if you can tell the story effectively, things need the space they need. But if you can, if you're like, I could do this in 25 less pages, you should. Because you save a lot of people a lot of time. And also, that's the test. That's what uh, telling a story is. Can you condense this? And, you know, like Star Wars could have been shorter. I can say that pretty definitively. They could have just got rid of some subplots or something or some characters and just been like, OK, we're good. We've had we've had plenty of time to get used to this Star Wars. I thought Avengers could have been shorter, to be honest. It went by pretty quick, but I was like, eh. it had more than I needed. Let's put it that way. And that's the thing is, like, I think. Everyone talks about it like an all or nothing. Like you go to a meal and it's either a fucking challenge steak where it's a, oh, can anyone finish the beast at this restaurant? Or it's like, oh, I went to this fucking super fancy restaurant and they gave me an entire dish the size of a sushi roll. And you're like, well, that's kind of bullshit. But it's not that. It's really like, well, you can have something in the middle. You can leave having eaten something delicious, but not be so stuffed that you're like, I don't know if I can finish this. And then you push through and you do finish it and you're like, I'm proud? Question mark. Maybe I'm not proud. I don't know. I have a feeling about this, but I'm not sure how to quantify it. So it pains me to say it, but I do think the novel is kind of dead. I think something else that has not helped the novel is a uh, means of production. So at one time, uh, the means of production for a novel were, well, you could write a novel. Anyone could basically, with the time and the inclination, could write a novel uh, and bang it out and finish it, right? So that was pretty accessible. Um, whereas like making a movie was not. Right. Like I couldn't make a short video. Even a short video would be, well, I don't have eight hundred dollars to spend on equipment. I don't want to spend fucking 40 hours to edit a movie. Like if you knew someone who made a movie in the 90s, that was like a big fucking deal. Right. But now it's really not. It's really. Uh, it's pretty easy. And so I think some of these other mediums have a lot more accessibility to everybody. And that means they're probably a lot more appealing because the other thing about writing a novel is like making a movie has gotten much easier in terms of like, here's what I'm thinking I want on the screen. Like the, the path from taking an idea and creating that idea on a screen is like a lot easier. Now it's a lot easier for an amateur even to, have an idea and then create something that 
closely resembles what they had in their head. Um, whereas a novel hasn't really gotten a lot easier. It's like the it's easier to get it printed or like published on an e platform or whatever. But it's not like a super easy thing to do now. It still like requires pretty much the same amount of work other than the typing and the printing. But like the uh, the thinking and the effort that goes into it is very similar, which I think makes it less appealing than some of this other stuff, because some of this other stuff, it's like, eh, you know, you can just fucking jump in and get it done. Get her done, as they would say. These cablemen. So I don't know. I just, I think that's a big thing. And then the flip side of that, too, is that um, there's still some kind of gatekeeping going on in the, in the film industry as far as, like, quality. Um, I can make a, a movie on my iPhone, and I've got the access to those means of production and yada yada. However, it's not going to look as good, and everyone's going to know, and it's not going to be in theaters. Whereas, like, books... I can put my book on Amazon and it'll be right next to someone else's. And, but there's just no guarantee of quality there. So it's like an unknown is probably not going to take a chance on an unknown. Like a, someone who's not familiar to me is probably not going to pick up my book. And I can't blame them because it's like, well, yeah, what am I going to do? Devote four hours on the off chance that this book with like two reviews on Amazon is not horrible because it's probably horrible so unfortunately i i might have to agree that the novel's dead i think it might be dead with that in mind dear runaway the newest novel by peter dirk available on amazon stores buy it prove me wrong kids prove me wrong <laughs>